The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott, and I'm here with Emilio Garofalo. Emilio, how's it going? Very well, John. Thank you. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. In just a little bit, I'm going to be talking to you about your book, A Student's Guide to Missions. Uh, But right now, we're talking about resources. And I would love for you to share with our listeners a resource uh, that's related to ministry that's been helpful to you right now. It could be uh, a book, it could be an article, it could be a video, but just something that's been helpful to you right now. All right. Well, this might surprise you that it's an old book. And I've gone back to it. And it's Calvin's Institutes. Oh, wow. Uh, I read it, of course, in seminary. We all had to read it. But recently I decided, you know what? I think my folks at church should be reading Calvin. And everybody thinks that Calvin is so hard to read because he's so so deep and all that. So no, it's one of the best ones to read. So I, I opened up a, a, a group read. We're starting actually tomorrow night. We'll be reading some portions. And 45 people signed, signed up for it. Wow. So folks will come, everybody's got a copy. And the first thing we're reading is, is Calvin's letter to King Francis I. Oh. And it's such a fine example of defending the faith. It's an apologetic letter. He speaks about his reasons. He speaks about, about the word in, and, and the differences between Romanism and what they're doing and everything. So I'm just having a, a fresh love affair with Calvin again, going back to him. And it's amazing to see. Because it's many of the issues he dealt with are around the corner again. And it's been very helpful and people are excited about it. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome to hear. I mean, it has been years and I don't know um, all the, the versions in which you can get. But Here's my copy of volume okay. one. Institute because, Portuguese. Yeah, because it's. It's four books, correct? But I mean, I've got a, the two two volume set. So books one and two are together, and then three and four together. Okay. So you've got a, a four volume set. Is that what you're? Four volume sets, yes. Okay. That's what we're working with. Yeah. Because if you're doing a group read like this, it's probably helpful to break them up into smaller segments yeah. like that. Doesn't look as intimidating, maybe. And, and it's lovely that you have elderly folks. You have We have youth. Everybody's excited about this. Oh, we always heard about this this deep theologian that everybody thinks is so impossible to read. So no, guys, you're going to love it. <laughs> and they're having a great time. Everybody's just reading. Even my mom is reading and said, I love yeah. it. I want to read more. Very good. Wow. That is really encouraging. Um, well, Emilio, we're also asking people to share a resource that's not related to ministry. And we always say uh, we're using the word resource very loosely here. It could be pretty much anything that's just being encouraging to you right now. Well, I'm getting serious finally about exercising, about All really right. working out. I do need to lose some weight, at least 10% of my current weight, I need to lose it. And it's getting to that age where it becomes a, a real issue. So I'm, I'm beginning to find joy in it. <laughs> I know some folks love to pump iron or, or, or whatever, but I never had any pleasure in it. But nowadays, I'm beginning to see 
to see this as, as a great time for myself. I put a, a nice podcast on, on my, my phone. I listen to a podcast and I, I just go and for an hour or so I'm there. I'm focusing on nothing but exercising and listening to something fun. And it has become such a, if you want to use the, the therapeutic time for me, I, I, I'm at the point where I miss it if I don't go. It's been great. I've been losing some weight. and So unexpected for me, but yeah, I'm becoming that person. <laughs> no, that's that's great to hear. Uh, it it is. I mean, just a, such a stress reliever. Uh, so often when, you know, I'm exercising, I, I'm not thinking about uh, a whole lot. Uh, I'm able to just kind of get my mind off of some of the stressors of life. So, um, glad you're finding joy in that. Yeah, I am. Surprising. I am surprised myself at it. Well, look, I look forward to talking with you more in just a little bit. Uh, for now, here is Scott and Tree. All right, I'm back once again with Scott Bird and Tree Triolo. I'm talking about social media and ministry. Uh, if you tuned in last week, uh, we were just talking about uh, a little bit of, of the ways in which you guys utilize this in your ministry. Um, but I, I did have a few follow-ups from that. Um, one that you guys both shared is the importance of sharing pictures on a retreat. Um, and, you know, thinking back to the workshop that we did uh, at YLT, I think that was that was shared by everybody. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to post pictures about a retreat, and parents love that. And I think most ministries try to do that. And I do think that's a good thing. I mean, me as a, a parent, I, I know it's nice to be able to see some of what's going on. And, you know, you, you think about it, like parents send their students on these retreats, but they just kind of don't know what happens. And, you know, if they're parents of boys, they never really get any details. <laughs> it's like, hey, was that a good retreat? Yeah. What was fun about it? Mm, I don't know friends, you know, it's like, that's, that's the answer they get. And some girls might be more detailed, but even still, it's just kind of a mystery of what happens on the retreat. Um, so that, that can be good. And we're, we're all going to echo like, that's a good thing. The thought I had is some of the negative of that and how we might be feeding this negative because, you know, we think of helicopter parents, um, that they want to know what's going on with their children all the time. And they never want to be apart from them. Um, but but I can think when I went on a retreat in 10th grade to Colorado, um, I, I literally, I, I fell and I busted my chin on a rock climb and had to get like seven stitches on my chin. And I had a calling card and called my mom just to let her know I was, was like already out of the ER and got stitches. And I probably talked to her, I don't know, 30 minutes that one week. And that's all they knew. They didn't see any pictures. They didn't know anything. That was it. Um, so... I'd love for you guys just to kind of react to this thought. Um, not even con conclusive answers from you guys. I don't expect I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But uh, Tree, Scott, who wants to jump in on this this first? Who has a thought? Yeah, so, yeah, helicopter parenting is definitely an issue. Um, yeah, I've run into to some of that before. Um, but I, I don't know if it is because you're not posting pictures of every kid every day. And so, um, you know, that helicopter parent may not see a picture of their kid the whole time. Um, but I do see that that is a, that's an issue. Like you don't want to feed that, that they have to be in, in the know of everything all the time. They, they have to be able to, 
not be in control and to to kind of trust the the youth leader of the chaperones and the lord to take care of their baby um yeah so yeah as far as helicopter parenting goes i know we don't want to enable it enable that and i haven't really thought about much how social media can can maybe enable that i don't know what do you think tree yeah um unfortunately we haven't had i haven't had to deal with too much of that i mean it's present but uh and really the the only thing that i've really had to be very careful about especially with social media is we do have one particular family who uh, they're not they don't get like mad about it but they prefer that their their child does not end up on social media um -hmm. so like we we have to be very selective with pictures that we put up and videos that we put up um and I really don't like, you know, the, the, the putting the smiley face in front of people's faces. I think it, it just, <laughs> it makes it very obvious and, uh, it, it could be, it, it could be a source of shame too, if, if they just feel left out. Um, yeah. so not necessarily the helicopter aspect of it. Just, I just have to be mindful about what I do post and, and who's in the pictures. Um, we try to do shared albums, um, with, with our leaders and, and parents before the trip so that parents can see pictures uh, like they can see all the pictures that we're we're uploading um mm-hmm. and that, i've actually gotten some great positive feedback from that our parents have really appreciated that and gotten good comments from that so yeah i mean i i, I agree with scott it's not something that we want to enable um and and we can't this is a battle i've, I've always fought in ministry is I, I try to not give the greatest voice to the um, or gr- give the greatest amount of time to the, the voices that seem the greatest. Uh, so like if a helicopter parent is being a little overbearing, like my, my gut reaction is to, okay, I've just got to appease and make this person happy. And that's just really not a healthy way of leadership or, mm-hmm. or doing ministry. So um, no, I don't, that doesn't mean we just blow them off. I mean, mm-hmm. we got to minister to those people too, but finding, finding creative ways to, Uh, keep them in the know without having to feed that, that insecurity of theirs. Um. Yeah. I I think that's a good word from the two of you that, uh, you know, if there's someone out there listening to this and they just kind of have the um, posture of just taking all kinds of pictures on retreats and sharing them constantly, you might be enabling some of these parents uh, and their, anxiety and their kind of helicopter parenting. And it would be good to scale back on that and to realize, look, that there are things that it's, it's good to kind of give kids space and to let them slowly start to grow up and become more independent. And, um, just to think of the ways in which you're, you're posting on, on retreats. Um, so I think that's good to, to at least be aware of it. And it did remind me, um, our own youth group years ago, they were doing a lot of sharing on Instagram, but what was funny was it was a lot of what the youth leaders were doing. And I remember a parent actually <laughs> commenting, Hey, can y'all actually show us some pictures of our kids? <laughs> and so, yeah, not making that mistake either of, uh, Hey, mm-hmm. here's what the youth workers are doing. Um, yeah. any other thoughts on, on any of this, Scott or tree, anything to add? Okay. So, so I read, um, social sanity in an insta world, uh, and it it was a really good book on, Mm -hmm. on social media. And one of the things it said is, is I can't remember how they said it, but basically how social media can give you the illusion of connection almost like, you know, about people and you know what's going on in their lives generally, but you're not actually 
talking to them about it. And so I wonder if some of that is, um, if that could be a downside to this too, is like parents just kind of seeing the pictures and, or, you know, kids being like, well, go look at the Instagram if you want to see what was going on and actually not being involved and and connecting over talking about it. Um, but more like, uh, you can see what it was like on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point because one, yeah, some of those pictures are just totally out of context. And so being careful of what you're sharing and a parent just sees it, you know, sitting in their office or at home. And then they just see this picture with no context at all. That could backfire on you in some way. But then there's also kind of living vicariously through your child that can happen as well. Um, because whoever's checking those pictures, you know, they're, they're in another physical space that they're not really giving themselves completely to. And so that as well, um, yeah. just, uh, like be, when people take pictures in worship and it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. let's be present here. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Man. Um, Tree, you said you had a, a comment as well. Yeah. I was just going to, and hopefully I'm not taking us in a completely different direction, but kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, I think I do the least effective ministry when I'm worried about individual reactions to things. So kind of going back to the, the helicopter parent thing, I, that's, that, that's like an opportunity to minister to them to just maybe gently speak into it and say, Hey, I know like you, you want to know what's going on and I know you want to be in the know, but I really need to do my job and be with these kids. And we're, we're going to try and give updates as best as we can. And here's one. I mean, I, I, I don't, yeah, this, it's not like this happens all the time, but I just, mm-hmm. I, it's a way to love people, but it, it really makes it so hard to do our jobs when we're focused on individuals. That, that's why I said earlier, like, I, I think when we worry about that kind of stuff, it just, it's all we think about. And mm-hmm. if we just want to make one person happy. Uh, it, it takes away from, from everything else. So that's just a, a general warning to all of us. Yeah. I just find, I find myself like more stressed, more anxious and not doing my job well at all when I'm worried about specific parents and mm-hmm. I think it's a good point to, to drive home. Um, I will, I, I did want to make a comment about being sensitive to posting pictures of, of other youth, um, w- w- without a doubt. Um, Chris Martin, and I'll, I'll quote him about something else in just a minute, but I know he said, and I think he shared this at YLT, that he and his wife have made the decision not to post any pictures of their child. I cannot remember if they have a daughter, um, but but they haven't posted any on any social media platform. And I say that simply because he is very knowledgeable of social media and he's very cautious about putting his daughter, I think it's daughter, um, just on any social media platform. And if he's saying that, that does give me pause of like, okay, why does he not want to have images out there of his child? And I just say that not as a critique to Utree or anything like that, just for youth workers to be sensitive to that, to know that, um, you know, the, the family unit, they have ultimate authority over their child and we've got to be cautious of that. And I know that there, are, um, I think I've seen people sign contracts of youth ministry to give permission, um, that, you know, people have different ways of doing that. And so just want to give kind of that word of caution to youth workers. Um, Scott Tree, do you want to respond to that? Yeah. So we, we have that in, in one of our retreats, we have just 
can we have permission to share your child's photo on social media? I don't think we've ever had anybody say no to that question. Um, but we have had students that have uh, texted me and said, hey, can you take down that picture of me on Instagram? Because there's some kind of insecurity that, you know, something is kind of on display that they're insecure about. And so it kind of, you know, it might actually be counterproductive to to post them or they don't feel like it's a safe place and they don't feel like they can be themselves because, you know, it's going to be posted on uh, Instagram. Again, Scott Tree, thanks for taking the time to be a part of this discussion. Emilio, welcome to the podcast. Hello, John. Good to see you, brother. It's great to see you as well. I, I know you've been on the podcast before, but it's been quite some time since you've been on. So why don't you just remind our listeners where you're joining us from and, and what you do? Great. Uh, my name is Emilio. I'm a Presbyterian minister, and I'm currently serving in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, right in the middle of the country. And that's where I'm joining you from. I've been shepherding this same church for 11 years now. And before that, I was in the U.S. studying, came back to, to plant this church, and that's what I do. All right. Yeah, well, thank you for, for making the time to, to come on. Um, you kind of fall in the category of selfish podcasts where I just get to catch up with friends. Um, <laughs> I love if, it. Uh, if, if anyone uh, remembers my podcast with you, I, I don't even know the number of that. It's been a while. But Amelia, uh, Emilio and I did work together for a brief time at Pear, Pear Orchard Press. And um, yeah, it was sad to see him go and cannot believe it's been 11 years uh, since you've been over there. Uh, but look forward to, to talking with you. Um, you have contributed to our track series. Uh, not this last series that came out, but maybe two series prior. Uh, you wrote A Student's Guide to Missions and uh, want to, to dig into that. Um, but I thought, you know, kind of as we, we dip into that, um, you speak Portuguese and you wrote a book in English. Uh, yeah. You also, we recently did get to see each other. You came to, to visit a little bit and you were talking about it had been a while since you preached in English. I, I'd love for you just to share with us a little bit what it's like uh, speaking and writing in a second language, just some of the, the challenges. And I say that this might be your third language because I know you speak Spanish as well, which, where, where does English fall in, in the number of languages? <laughs> uh, even though Spanish is closer to Portuguese in terms of vocabulary and, and word structure, this kind of thing. I do feel more confidence in English than in Spanish. So I'll, I'd rather say English is the, the second one for me, where I feel more free than I have more vocabulary. Perhaps I, I read I read so much in English, either novels or, or theology. So English is really the second. And it, it is interesting. It is a challenge sometimes. And developing the skills to, to serve God's people whether in writing or in speaking is, is not easy, but but after a while it becomes second nature, just like driving car and, and just going back from, to stick shift from an automatics and, and things like that. So I do, however, feel more uh, less freedom in English. In Portuguese, it's I fly more at ease. <laughs> well, because I even think of okay, we just jumped on this podcast, and you immediately start speaking to me in English. But you haven't spoken English at all today or the days prior. But you immediately flip a switch. So, are you even thinking 
I guess sometimes you naturally just start speaking in Portuguese, thinking I'm listening. And, uh, and <laughs> well, if I do switch to Portuguese, do let me know, please. We don't want to confuse people. But well, yes, I haven't spoken English for many days now, and yeah, just jump right into it. But it's it is something that it's a skill that there's nothing superhuman about it. It's just, and I see children do it. It's amazing. You see some children who are bilingual, and they speak to mommy with one in one language to daddy in another and they flip quickly and mm -hmm. it's just go how god designed us i think we can all get there mm -hmm. well it, it feels a little superhuman to me because i i cannot speak a, another language i got um, bitten by a, by a bilingual spider that's, <laughs> that's what it is yes uh, and we're already dipping into your love for movies there uh, as well with that that comment. Um, well, and, and I can remember too, just when we took our youth group on a, a mission trip and uh, came over to, to see you and you were translating uh, for, for us and, um, you know, you translated for me during a sermon. Uh, I, by the end of the week, your voice was getting hoarse because you kept having to switch back and forth between Portuguese and English. And I'm just thinking of vocal cords. I mean, you, you probably, you know, utilizing different sounds that you aren't accustomed to. That, that is true. There are some sounds that are more frequent in a language than another. For example, uh, speaking uh, Portuguese speakers tend to have a lot of trouble with your th, such as in think. Uh, we, we speak like an f most of the time. Think okay. instead of think or whatever it is. So there are some sounds that are not very common, and I know that same way around. Some sounds in Portuguese are very hard for English native speakers. So yeah, switching back and forth, you do tend to use the whole the whole set of sounds and, and it gets tiresome after a while. But yeah, I think yeah. it's more mentally tiring than really mm. uh, throats tiring. Men mm. Mentally, it's very tiresome to translate and, and people don't realize that. Uh, we, we do need to show a lot of love for translators, folks who are doing this full time. It's, it's amazing what they do. Yes, absolutely. And, and just so you know, there, there are plenty of Americans that struggle with the TH as well, and they make the F sound. So Good. <laughs> it's not just That's you. encouraging. <laughs> um, hey, look, I know we were talking a little bit pre-recording too, uh, that you uh, just were at a conference somewhere, and you were actually invited to speak. Tell, tell us a little bit about that conference too. It's also always awesome to hear what's going on across the world. Well, just like in the, in the United States, there are several theological conferences spread out, some happen every year, some every two years. And there is this one, it's called Christian Conscience. And it's been, this is the 25th year that they're held in, that they held it. And it's in a city called Campina Grande in the, in very inland in a, a state in the Northeast, is the state of Paraíba. This conference began 25 years ago as a counterpoint to a new age conference that they, they had over there such as witchcraft, this kind of thing. It's, it was called the new conscience. And they, they countered it with the Christian conscience. But this conference grew so much that nowadays it is the, the largest conference by far within the more reformed conservative camp. Of course, there are other, other strands, but within the reformed camp, this is by far the largest. It, it lasts for six days. And uh, if you count the, oh, the six days, over 100,000 people come and go wow. and a gigantic bookstore and, and 50 or 60 speakers. Uh, the, 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 the team alone, the volunteers, there are 700 volunteers serving. 
it, it's it's amazing. I love it. And, and I got to preach there. It was very, very joyful. Meet mm-hmm. folks and, and see again old friends. It was a blessing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just... I'd like for you to say too, how many people you got to preach to when you were there? Uh, about 12,000 in front of me when I got to preach a sermon, and it was so scary. As I, as I told you, I took off my glasses, so I couldn't see them very well. Just just make it in a kind of a blur, focus on your Bible in front of you and speak. It, it is it is gigantic. It's by far 10 times more than any other public I ever spoke to. Mm. And it, it, it's it's amazing. It's it's scary, but also it it, it bring, brings your heart to a great deal of thankfulness, mm. gratitude mm. to God for this opportunity. It's very unique, and sure. I was glad to be able to serve so many people with God's word that day. That's that's awesome. And again, like I said, just to, to give our listeners a picture of what's going on in another part of the world, um, that's just encouraging. Um, well, Amelia, like I said, we want to talk about your book, A Student's Guide to Missions. Um, you know, I talked about the challenges of you writing in another language. Another challenge of, of this book is writing in a concise way. Uh, that's always a challenge for, for any writer. So maybe let, let's just begin there. You know, I reached out to you, asked you about this uh, topic, if you'd be interested in writing that, and then you know, okay, this is going to be a concise book. Uh, what were some of those challenges of just how to focus on, I mean, coming up with an outline, all of those things? Well, uh, yes, it would, would have been easier if I had 200 pages to write, <laughs> make it way large and go into detail and, and, follow every rabbit trail rabbit trail or whatever the idea took me. But I knew I had to limit myself to those pages. It could not be very long. It had to be a size that was very easy for anybody who wanted to pick it up and read for students either by themselves or in small groups or whatever. So I had to limit myself to what is the what is really the meat of the topic. No, no fat, just the meat. Mm-hmm. What is it that you if you only have a 30-minute presentation, what is what are the things you can't leave out? So I try to outline in this way and think about what is missions, what is involved. And, and I wanted to make sure to, to talk about it uh, in the Old Testament as well. Many times when thing, people, folks consider the topic, they will only go to the New Testament with, of course, the Book of Acts and Jesus' Great Commission. But it begins earlier. It begins by God's commission of Israel to be a light to the nations and how the nations should learn about the true God from Israel. So I wanted to make sure that should be in there for a little bit. So I couldn't work with too many quotations from other respected authors that have helped me throughout the years. I had to to, to make it only the meat, no fat. That was my my order of the deal. Yeah, well, it, it is great. And I love... Just the way, I mean, you really give a good big picture of Scripture and just, go, like you said, going through the Old Testament, going through the New Testament. Um, and I love, too, uh, just how you started the book. Uh, and you were speaking, obviously, this is written for students, but you're speaking directly to students and you are answering the question, you know, why should I care about missions? And I just thought that was a great place to start of, okay, a student is thinking, okay, why should I even be uh, reading a book on missions? Why is it that important? And you just kind of address that at the outset. And I thought too, you know, maybe answering that question for us, but I'm thinking, you know, our 
primary audience is, is parents and youth workers. And so maybe speaking to to parents, you know, why should their students care about missions or a youth worker thinking about maybe giving this book, you know, to a student, but they might think, well, missions is something for more adults, even as you say in the book. Uh, what what are some thoughts you'd like to share with us, those parents or youth workers? Oh, that is a great question. Because yes, people do think that uh, missions is something only for those who are living abroad in a transcultural setting and dealing, I don't know, with a lost tribe somewhere in the South Pacific Islands or something like this, that those guys are doing missions and not what we're doing here. And and people do think, oh, you, you're only a missionary if you've been through all this training and you're living abroad and, and that's missions. Well, that is as well. But missions go beyond the yearly missions festival in our home churches. Mission has to do with God's glory. And I think that's the key to, to, to get us thinking. All Christians should be concerned about God's glory, about the fame of God's name, if you want to use a John Piper style of, of phrasing, the fame of God's name. We want him to be known. We, we don't do missions as an end in itself. We, we go to missions because we want God's name to be celebrated, glorified in, in, in everywhere, everywhere in our, on earth. And everybody is a missionary in one sense, that all of us have received the great commission of making disciples of all nations. This includes those of us who are living abroad and going through transcultural settings, but this includes all of us who are simply living in a home where there is an unbeliever. And that's kind of our mission field for the moment. We are building relationships, we are salt and light, and we are, we are witnesses of Jesus Christ wherever we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, and and you, again, you you cover so much in this tiny book. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed at what all you can uh, talk about. But I mean, you, you have a section on transcultural missions, and that's something you've already referenced twice. Why don't you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Great. Uh, usually that's what is on everybody's mind when they speak about missions. They would think of John Payton going to, going to South Pacific or Donnie Ranjetson, one of those names. And that's what we tend to think about. And this, of course, has particular uh, challenges to itself. Well, I have lived abroad, and even though there, with globalization, we do have so much in common. We we know much about American culture and everything, but getting to live there, life is different. There are small differences when we Brazilians go to live in the United States that do will either help us make bridges or burn bridges. Let me give you a simple example. Uh, usually in the United States, when people invite you over for dinner at their home, they'll set a time such, oh, please come come have dinner with us at five, whatever. And many times they'll put a, 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 a end time as well. Why don't you come eat from five to seven? And, and, and it's surprising to us Brazilian that to begin with, everybody gets there at five. <laughs> instead of getting there at 5 30 or 6 because over here 5 is more of kind of a somewhere around 5 that's what they mean when they say 5 and the fact that when it gets the time of ending everybody picks up their stuff and just go and and that's fine there is no right or wrong here it's just different but if i want to make relationships with with you americans and and i do not pay attention to this cultural norm 
you, I will come across as a rude person, as a as somebody who's not thoughtful, somebody who's not caring about other people's times, time and homes and whatever. And I'll burn bridges instead of building bridges. So this is just simple example. It gets much more serious than that. Let's say if you're going to live in a tribe in, in Africa, in Asia, in a jungle somewhere, and there are many cultural things that you need to learn in order to be loved and well-received so that you have an open way to bring a gospel message. Otherwise, you get there and you step on people's toes and, and they'll close their ears to you and they'll just see you as a nuisance rather than a, somebody who's there really to, to be part of their community and serve them. So transcultural missions come with lots of challenges. Language is one, but it's only one. You really, the, the uses and the way of thinking about everything, about food, about time, about friendship, about property, about violence, about right and wrong, about what time you go to bed. This is all difference every, different everywhere. And it, it can be a challenge for the missionary to, mm -hmm. to get into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without a doubt that there are many challenges to this. I mean, it's obvious the evil one does not want uh, the, the gospel to spread to every tongue and tribe and nation. And so there, there's going to be many challenges and you're highlighting one right there. Um, I know you also talk about kind of the di digital revolution and even some of the, the challenges that have come about because of that. Um, I'd love for you to elaborate on that a little bit. It's amazing to see how, how much life has changed even in this 11 years since I came back. You see, nowadays we're able to do this kind of thing easily through Zoom or whatever technology we have. But this is very new. This is very new. And for example, if I want to teach, I, I, I've been to Nepal, I talk about it in the book a little bit. I've been to Nepal in Asia to, to teach some church planters there and help them with theology and all that. And it was wonderful to, to get there. And, and the travel technology already changes a lot. If I were a missionary in the 1800s, I would, it would have taken me months and months and maybe a year just to get there. I got there in two days. Yeah, pretty much anywhere in the world, you can get there within three or four days currently. But so I was spent a week there and it was fine. But nowadays, it's even easier than that. I can just get a Zoom meeting and we'll talk for an hour and we'll discuss matters and we'll see each other and we'll pray together and off we go. This changes things. This opens up opportunities. This doesn't end the need to see face-to-face. -face. I think to go there and see and be there still has a lot of benefits. It still has a lot of, well, it's way more expensive, but it brings a lot of benefits for everybody involved. Mm. But technology does, does bring us together in some ways, but it also has its dangers, doesn't it? Mm. it all of us who are dealing with youth and dealing with, church members, even not thinking in terms of missions, we know that people can be so glued to their, their smartphones that they, they forget to see who's around, that people can get so used to the idea of uh, streaming a, a worship service that they won't get any, anywhere near a church again, just there in their pajamas, switching between a, a stream and another. So digital revolution, such as, such as is the case with any of any new technology. This brings new difficulties and new possibilities. And we do need biblical wisdom to deal with that. And it's not different in the mission field. We, we do have much more contact with missionaries nowadays. There was a time that you would hear from a missionary, I don't know, once every two years, 
or a lost letter would come in the mail or something like this. <laughs> Nowadays, you can talk to our missionaries anytime. I just spoke to one of ours recently. We chatted for a, it was mutual encouragement, and it was beautiful. Yeah, Amelia, that, that's helpful to think about. Um, I, I know as you know, I reached out to you to, to write on this. You've obviously thought about missions. You've read about missions. Um, but as you're you're writing this book, I'm just curious if you learned anything new as you were writing it, or were you reminded of something, uh, maybe a truth that just resonated again? And I'm saying that at the same time, recognizing the fact as we were speaking pre-recording, uh, people sometimes who <laughs> haven't written books don't realize that we don't always remember everything that we wrote. It's it's kind of like coming up to a pastor, hey, do you remember that sermon you preached a year ago? And people expect you to remember everything. So I realize I'm kind of putting you on the spot with that question. Um, but but do you remember uh, just learning something new as you're, you're writing about this topic? Well, every time we have to research to write, we do grow. I think that's, that's pretty clear. Every time we have to teach something, you don't, you come back to your notes, you find more resources and you learn more. So I did learn, I, I had gotten me thinking more deeply about specifically the nature of missions in the Old Testament. I think that that is something that I always, I was always interested, but I had to look at it with more resources and think more about it in order to make it shorter. Mm -hmm. and otherwise it would be 50 pages just of that. <laughs> so I think that's an area where I had to reflect more upon and, and grow into that. And overall, the sense of thinking about how this is about God's glory. This is this was always in front of me. This is not about being heroic. This is not about having great stories to tell the kids. This is not about any of that, even though that might happen. It is really about God's fame around the world. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that's something we can just gloss over in some ways, because maybe it sounds like the Sunday school answer, you know, oh, well, God's glory. And we just kind of move on from that. But but like you just said, I mean, it can become so, you know, focused on us, on the, the missionary. And like you said, heroic um, instead of, OK, why are we doing this uh, anyway? What, what's the point of this? And so. Yeah, such a, again, a great place to start the book, but uh, that's foundational to why we're, we're doing missions. Um, uh, Amelia, you, you know, you're a senior pastor. I'm curious how you try to lead your own church in, in missions. Um, how do you try to go about doing that? I mean, from the pulpit to Sunday school to, to whatever. Well, to begin with, uh, I see every, every sermon as a, let's say, a missionary opportunity. Every sermon is evangelistic in the sense that I'll present the gospel, I'll exalt Jesus Christ, and I'll help people see it. I remember at one time, uh, I think it was Tim Keller, he said something to the effect that begin preaching as if you had unbelievers in the, in the room, and, soon, and very soon you will have unbelievers in the room. Because people will see that you're talking to those who don't believe, so maybe an application here, an illustration there, and, and people will begin inviting the unbelieving friends and relatives to come. Oh, that pastor is not just speaking to everybody who believes already, but he's being evangelistic. He's he's trying to speak God, uh, people, the people's language, those who don't. The, he's speaking to their objections to faith. He's speaking to their real questions and doubts. So I try to remember that to begin with, every every worship service is not only about uh, the 
the building up of God's people, but it is about opening up and offering Jesus Christ. And there might be people there who are very different from us and even almost another culture, just being in the secular world, and they do need to hear. But going beyond that, we do have a, we do have a set of missionaries that we support, that we, we're, we're partners in missions. We try to bring them over whenever it's possible. Sometimes they're, they're in the field and they've been in the field for three years, whether in Japan or Nepal or, or somewhere else. And if they're here, we jump to the opportunity of bringing them and getting them to speak. But one thing that I do is I don't bring them to speak about missions. I bring them to preach. And it, it's lovely to see these missionaries, they're preaching here while they're preaching there. On a Sunday school moment, I will have give them the opportunity to speak of what they're doing and things like that. But I want people to see that the same message that's going forth from our pul pulpits every Sunday is going forth in Japan, in Nepal, in South Africa, in, in other parts of the, the world, in the Brazilian jungles and everywhere, that we're doing the same thing. They're just doing it there. And this helps our church to see that missions is not really about something out there weird and who knows what's going to happen, who knows what is for lunch. It's about bringing the same message they hear every week, but to people who are really far away and don't have that easily as we do. That's good. Um, Amelia, I know we're about at time, um, but I'd love for you to, to give some some books that have really impacted you in this area. Uh, those who have checked out our, our track booklets know that there's two appendices, and one of those uh, appendices is for further reading, where we give recommendations to students that uh, they can you know read further on that topic. And so what are some of those books that kind of stand out to you as, as helpful books on the topic of, of missions? I know you've already mentioned John Piper. What are some others? Yes, Piper. Piper is, I, I do want to speak about it just a little bit. He is, has got this very famous quote that missions exist because worship doesn't. And, and that's the idea. The reason we're bringing forth this message is for people all over the world to hear and worship. Worship is the goal. God's glory is the goal. So, so Piper's book on missions is very useful. And I, I do want to highlight another one that is not as well known from uh, Bavink, not Herman Bavink, but his, his nephew, I believe. It's called The Science of Missions. The Science of Missions. Mm. He speaks a lot about biblical theology there, about why this idea of two testaments pointing to the same direction. But he does bring a lot the idea of elentics as well, which is the idea of uh, how the gospel is, it confronts, it exhorts all the other ways of thinking, almost thinking in terms of worldview, we would say nowadays when he wrote it, I think people were not using this terminology too much. So Bavink's The Science of Mission is about really mission is about the confrontation of worldviews. Hmm. And we're teaching people to see the world in, in a way that reflects what God says about it, rather than seeing the world according to our vain imaginations. If you think about Paul in Romans 1, 18 and, and forward, how he speaks about the believer rejecting God's truth, but putting something in, in its place, trying to substitute it with creation, creation ideas. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Yeah, thanks for sharing those. And again, just reminding our listeners to, to check out A Student's Guide to Missions. 
Uh, it's available at Amazon. I think these are $3.99, $4.99, something like that. So very cheap, very concise. Uh, Amelia, thank you for taking the time to come on today, but all the, the work you put into this resource. Uh, appreciate your time. My pleasure, brother. Thank you for the invitation. It was good to see you and good to serve the folks with this conversation. Come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without